The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is so good to see your foreheads this morning. I know through our church survey, am I on, am I good? Okay, that 100 of you are happy to be here and wearing your mask this morning, while 266, not so much. Um, I understand your frustration, and thank you for laying aside your personal preferences for the sake of God's glory. But this gathering isn't about us, it's not about our preferences, it's about Him. And we want to draw attention to that. And every time we lay aside some preference for His glory, um, it's just, it, that's really what worship is all about. So even though we are masked up, it is good to be in the presence of God together inside this theater. And um, I'm actually really glad that I get to preach this text to you this morning inside because this text is a little complicated. And for us to really understand it, we're going to have to be fully focused with distractions minimized. Um, And... It was very weird to preach this at the 8.30 service because I didn't have any squirrels to compete with or fire, you know, sirens going on or guys mowing their grass or, you know. Some of them, I'm like, I think they just wanted to distract me. They're like, I start and I'm going to start mowing. You know, it's like, I didn't have to deal with any of that. It was pretty silent, so it was pretty easy to preach this morning. Uh, but this, I'm going to tell you right away, this sermon is going to be pretty dense because the topic is uh, pretty difficult And so this is probably a sermon that you're going to want to listen to more than once. See, today Jesus is is addressing two very important topics. One, how should we view and relate to the Old Testament scriptures? And two, how are we supposed to grow in what he calls righteousness? Or in other words, how do we become people who think, feel, and act more like Jesus or more like God. And I think most people are completely confused by both of these topics. What's up with the Old Testament and how are we supposed to change? Well, that's where we're going this morning. So I'm going to read our text one more time and then pray for us and we will jump in. So if you could open up your Bible or your Bible app on your phone to Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 17. Let me read it again, and it'll be on the screen as well. 
Do not think, this is Jesus speaking in his Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever told, one of the most read and studied speeches ever given by any human in history. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to help us understand this. I want to thank you for speaking to us that we can know you and we can know your thoughts because you've given us your word. And we desire to know God. We were made to know you and we want to know you and we, don't, we can't really stumble our way towards you. We must, you must reveal yourself to us and you've done that through your word. So would you help us understand your word this morning? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Would it be all of you and none of me? Would you do this for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so first thing I want us to see, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, or the law or the prophets. Now, first thing I want us to see is that term, law or prophets, is short term for the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. There are 39 books, so if you didn't know, your Bible is made up, this Bible here is made up of an Old Testament, what we call an Old Testament, and a New Testament, separated really by the coming of Jesus, what was before and what was after. The Old Testament, there are 39 books, so in this book, in the Old Testament, there's 39 books, the law, or written by a range of authors, okay, and the law is called the Torah, and includes the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of them written by a guy named Moses. The prophets are the rest of the books of the Old Testament. Not just what we refer to as the major prophets and the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those guys, and Malachi and them. So think of it like this. The way we speak of the Bible and the Old Testament the New Testament in Jesus' day... That's how they, they spoke of the Old Testament in the same way. They just said the law and the prophets. And that was to refer to all of the Old Testament. They're pr all prophets because they were being inspired by God to write the words of God. So here Jesus is teaching for us and for his listeners how we are to view what's called the Old Testament. Now this is important because there's a lot of confusion surrounding the Old Testament. And Jesus speaks directly to this issue when he says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Abolish means to cancel, to get rid of. We abolished slavery, praise God, and we deemed it illegal and we got rid of it in our country, right? So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I didn't come to strike down the Old Testament. 
Now, why would he do that? Because people, he came as a king, preaching the king, gospel of the kingdom, and people naturally heard that and assumed, oh, you're a king, so you must be bringing a new law, you must be bringing new commandments, so we could probably get rid of the Old Testament and just follow your teaching now, right? Jesus says, I understand you why you would say that, but no, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, I, I know there's this idea is rampant in our society. I hear it all the time. We don't need the Old Testament anymore. We've got Jesus. Well, but Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, many churches and many Christians believe this today. And many more who would say, no, no, the Old Testament is true. The Old Testament is real. The Old Testament should be. We should read it. But by their life and by their actions, we can tell they don't really believe that because they don't read the Old Testament. Or they don't know how to understand its meaning. When you read the Old Testament, they just get super confused. And about a year or so ago, a prominent megachurch pastor told his church and the many thousands of people who watch his podcast on the internet that Christians need to, quote, unhitch themselves from the Old Testament or unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Now, what, what is this? Th this thinking is there's, you read the Old Testament and it's an embarrassment. There's all kind of weird stuff in there and it's so, hard to con it's, it's so hard to understand and it's confusing. So we should just get rid of the Old Testament and just focus on the New. See, the thinking goes, it's so old and, and it's so confusing. It seems so rigid and legalistic that we just need to throw it away and only read the New Testament. Well, as we are going to see, this is not the teaching of Jesus. This is not how Jesus viewed the Old Testament, and it should not be our view either. Jesus is going to teach us that the Old Testament is absolutely vital in understanding the person and work in Jesus, and it's crucial in learning how to change and grow as a Christian. So what I want us to see from this text, I want us to see four things, that four lessons that Jesus teaches us here about the Old Testament, okay? Number one, look at verse 18. <clears throat> For truly, now that word right there mean, is, is in, the, uh, in the Greek, it's amen, all right? It's amen. Amen means truly. If you ever heard people say amen, they're, uh, they're just saying truly. They're saying what you just said is, is true. I agree with what you're saying. So if you hear me say something you like, you can say amen, all right? It's also, I hear that as a dog hears sickum. That's kind of, so it, it encourages me, okay? So if you want to respond, feel, feel free, all right? Jesus says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. First thing I want us to see, Jesus' lesson on the Old Testament. One, the Old Testament is divinely inspired. What is divinely inspired? The Old Testament scriptures come from God. God spoke to man and man wrote it down. Now, how do we see this? We see this because in verse 18, it says the word or the law is eternal and longer lasting than both heaven and earth. He says the word will be fulfilled 
And I mean, the word is going to keep being true before, or heaven and earth will pass away before this word passes away. So the, this world is going to fail us. It's going to fade away. Heaven is going to fade away and fail. It's going to be renewed and restored. And Jesus is saying the Old Testament scriptures, they're not like that. They're eternal. Okay? So one, the Old Testament is divinely inspired. Secondly, every word of the Old Testament is inspired by God. In verse 18, Jesus says, not one iota or dot. He's, what he's saying there is contrary to what most people in our society think about the Old Testament. Most people, you, you listen to God, you listen to your liberal theology professor or, or comparative religion professor, or if you listen to a guy like Joe Rogan, that talk, when, he, when they, ever, they talk about the Old Testament, they talk about the Bible, they say things like, well, you can't literally take it word for word, and you can't take it literally. We know that this all kind of comes from man, and it's collective thinking about the universe and about God, and so we can take this part as true, but that part we should get rid of, and, and we should make the Bible fit what we think is moral today, what we think fit in our, our current cultural worldview. And Jesus is like, nope. Every iota, that's every word, every dot, every punctuation mark, every stroke of the pen, Jesus says, is inspired by God. Third, the Old Testament is authoritative, Here's a big word, guys, sorry. Efficacious. It gets stuff done and powerful. He says, the word of God will not pass away, look, until all is accomplished. The word of God is getting stuff done and it won't pass away until it gets everything done. Well, what's it getting done? It's renewing the cosmos. It's restoring all of creation. It's saving every single person that puts their faith in Christ and renewing everything, that all of creation. And he says, the word of God will not fail until that work is finished. Till all sin is removed from the earth. And we can dwell with God in happiness forever. Fourth, lastly here. The Old Testament. This is, my, this is the most important one for you this morning. The Old Testament is primarily about Jesus, not you. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish, set aside, get rid of the law and the prophets. Look, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. The Old Testament is primarily about Jesus. Think of it like this. If the Old Testament scriptures were a cup, Jesus would be the liquid that fills that cup, fills it to overflowing. Jesus did not come to set the law and the prophets, the Old Testament to the side. He came to fulfill them perfectly and totally. What that means is the Old Testament is primarily about Jesus, not about us. So we should not read them like they are about us. Let me say it like this. Jesus here is showing us how to read and understand the Old Testament. He's saying, we here's another big word. I'm sorry, but I, I'm sorry. This is what you pay me for. Big words, okay? 
He says, listen, when we read the Old Testament, we have to read it Christocentrically. Okay, big word, here's the easy one. That Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We have to read it and see how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures in such a way that it now changes how we relate to them. So for example, when you read the Old Testament, you will find a lot of strange-sounding cleanliness or purity laws. There's a lot about what foods to eat and what type of fabrics to wear and how to keep yourself ritually clean. Listen, people like to point those out to embarrass us. Oh, we should be ashamed of it. Oh, Jesus says not to eat shellfish. I feel like such an idiot. When their worldview says that we came from shellfish. I'm not embarrassed that God said not to eat shellfish. Why? Because all of those Purity laws were pointing to Jesus, who is now our purity. Jesus is now our cleanliness. It wasn't about shellfish being bad for you. It was made to make people aware that they needed something outside of themselves to purify their conscience. I'm not embarrassed by it at all. And then you read it, and you, you read about all of the animal sacrifices. And people, oh, it's... Can you, believe the old, can you believe in the Old Testament? They had to kill animals to cover their sin. How archaic. What a joke. What an old school. I'm not embarrassed by that. And guess what? We didn't grow out of that. The reason we don't sacrifice animals anymore is not because that was somehow less true and we grew up and we got a conscience and, and the scientific method and we realized that we didn't need to do those things anymore. No, the reason we don't sacrifice animals is for one reason. Jesus became our ultimate sacrifice who died on the cross to pay for our sins. That's why we don't do it anymore, period. So, we should not be embarrassed that that's, that's in the Old Testament. We shouldn't be embarrassed at all. Jesus is our final sacrifice that all the Old Testament animal sacrifices pointed to. So here's what Jesus is saying. You won't really understand him until you've got some kind of working knowledge of the Old Testament. And you won't really be able to understand the Old Testament until you see that Jesus fulfilled it. In other words, <clears throat> The point of every story in the Bible, the point of every regulation, the point of every law, every legal code, the point of the ceremonies and the point of the bread and the point of the lampstands and the point of the sacrifices and the point of the priests and the point of the prophets and the point of the kings was all to point to Jesus. The point of every priest what is a priest? A priest was a person that mediated between sinful humanity and a holy God. So you would go to a priest to mediate that relationship. Well, what was that pointing to? That was pointing to the ultimate priest, the God-man. Jesus is God and man in the flesh. He is our perfect mediator. We don't need priests anymore because we have Jesus. The point of every prophet. What was a prophet? A prophet spoke the word of God. Well, guess what? Jesus was the word of God in flesh. We don't need prophets because Jesus is our ultimate prophet. Guess what? 
All the kings of the Old Testament, guess what they're pointing towards? The ultimate king, the king of all kings, Jesus, the king who would institute his rule and his reign through his kindness and not through his iron fist. It was all pointing to Jesus. The point of all the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus even he shows us in Luke chapter 24 when he's, he dies, he's resurrected, he shows up to his disciples and he opens the Old Testament and he goes starting with, in Luke chapter 24, starting with Moses and the prophets, he points out to them how it was all about him. He goes and teaches them this Christocentric hermeneutic, another big word, how to interpret the Bible through the lens of Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. This was Jesus's view of the Old Testament. Is this your view? J.C. Ryle summed it up like this, old dead Puritan. Quote, the Old Testament is the gospel in the bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. The Old Testament is the gospel in the blade. The New Testament is the gospel in full ear. Now, here's where things so often go wrong. If Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, why do I still need to read them? If he fulfilled them, why do I need to read them? Why do I need to understand them? Right? How should I relate to it? Well, here is the simple answer. The simple answer is you need to understand the law and the prophets to better understand Jesus and what he has done to save us and grow us into his image and his likeness. But I want to show you this from our text this morning. Let me show you why you can't just throw out the Old Testament and get away from all the tough moral requirements and just focus on Jesus. Look at verse 19 through 20. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Now, let me just clarify something. To enter into the kingdom of heaven does not mean go to a place called heaven when we die. It's included in that, but what it means is to come under God's rule, to become one of those who recognize his kingship, to enter into his kingdom, and to live by his standard, to be one of God's true people. So, Jesus here, I want you to see this. He, he's preaching that Christianity is not about the lowering of moral standards at all. In fact, Jesus is going to go on in his sermon to set the moral requirements of the kingdom of God even higher than the Old Testament sets them. So let me tell you something you've maybe never heard before. You don't just need Jesus to understand the Old Testament. You need Jesus to understand the New Testament as well. 
Think about Jesus' teaching from last week. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Oh, I know, I know. I'm not going to tell you yet. Let's keep reading. Jesus said this, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Listen to this. How do you understand that passage without Jesus? If that passage is just about us, then Jesus is saying, if you aren't salty enough, you're going to be thrown out and trampled in the street. Do you hear that standard? If you aren't significantly different from your neighbor, if you aren't missional enough, if you aren't working to renew or to restore our city enough, if you aren't righteous enough, if you aren't holy enough to be a light in the darkness, then you're going to be thrown out of Jesus' kingdom. If that text is just pointing to us and how we should be living, then it should terrify us. But if we read it Christocentrically, we see that that text is first and foremost about Jesus. Think about it like this. Jesus is the only one who was salty enough distinct enough, holy enough, righteous enough to preserve and change the world. And what happened to Jesus? Jesus was thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem with a cross on his shoulders to pay the punishment of sins that he didn't commit. Jesus died on the cross for people who weren't holy, for people who weren't salty enough, people like us. That Jesus was the light of the world, and yet he was snuffed out by the darkness of the world for us. And guess what? As you read the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, like that, it changes your heart. It restores your saltiness. How does the salt... If a salt has lost its saltiness, how does that saltiness get restored? By looking to Jesus, that's how. See, the Bible is not just about rules and laws. It's about Jesus. It actually causes us to worship Jesus. And as we do that more and more, it changes us and it renews us and it restores us. You could call this the gospel process of sanctification. Sanctification, being made more like Jesus, being made more like God. Let me show you this from our text. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. First thing I want us to see, Jesus does not relax or lower the standard of holiness or the standard of righteousness. He does the exact opposite. He elevates it. 
He takes it higher. Now, why is he doing that? Because what he's doing, listen, he's getting to the heart of the law. Parents, you should know this. Parenting is really difficult, okay? And one of the reasons it's difficult is because you say something like, don't hit your sister, right? And you think that's pretty simple command, that's a pretty simple law, that's a pretty simple standard. And then five minutes later, you hear, and one screaming, and the other one, I told you not to hit your sister. I didn't hit her, I slapped her. Okay. You got me on that one, all right? You're very wise, child. Okay, I get it. Now, what are they doing? They are disobeying the heart of the law while obeying the letter of the law, okay? The Pharisees were experts at doing this. When they read the Old Testament, they dwindled it down to, if you call it dwindling, 600 laws that were in writing and they could check them. Did it, did it, did it, did it, right? But Jesus railed against them for disobeying the heart of the law. And so later in this chapter, you're going to see Jesus say, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I take it up higher. Don't hate someone in your heart. You heard don't commit adultery. Oh, no, no, no. I take it up higher. Don't even lust. Jesus here is getting to the heart of the law, which elevates the standard where the Pharisees just tried to make it black and white. Okay, so the first thing we see, Jesus does not lower the standard. Many people teach this to the children. Hey, guess what? Jesus has came, so we don't need rules anymore. What? No, no, that's not what Christianity teaches at all, right? Like somehow if a a Jesus-centered home doesn't have rules and doesn't have standards and doesn't have laws and doesn't, what? That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches at, at all. Jesus elevates the standard and says, no, no, not just don't hit your sister, don't hate your sister in your heart. If you do, you're breaking the law of God. Secondly, now what does it do? When you elevate the law, when you elevate the standard, what it does, Jesus here shows us that no one, therefore, can save themselves through their good behavior. See, the master, the the Pharisees were masters of the law, 600 plus laws. They quote unquote obeyed all the rules and yet their righteousness was still not enough. See, Jesus just rails against the Pharisees because they do crazy things like they had little loopholes. Like one, one time, the Old Testament law said, when your parents get older, you should take care of them and provide for them. But the Jews figured out a way, well, you know what? If I say that I give, I'm gonna, the money that I would give to my parents, I'm going to give to God instead. That allows me to keep this money for myself and I don't need to spend it on my parents. And Jesus looked at him and go, what? You are breaking the heart of the law of God right? Or when the way they treated the Sabbath and they they yelled at the disciples for picking up grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, what? You're You're missing the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. All kind of these rules, they missed the law. They were obeying outwardly, but inwardly, they were full of pride. They were full of greed. They were full of lust and disobedience. So, Jesus here is not just looking for outward obedience, but an inward love, joy, trust that results in an obedience to God. 
third, when you do this, when you elevate the standard and you realize you can't meet that standard, Jesus, therefore, is pointing actually toward himself. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a person who fulfilled the heart of the law perfectly? Think about it. All the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Has there ever been a human being who's actually done that? Yes. One. Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's done it. Jesus fulfilled that standard perfectly. Now, this is where people, people, okay. So there's this impossible standard. I can't save myself and earn it, but Jesus did. Jesus obeyed it perfectly. How does that help me? I don't understand how that guy's perfect obedience helps me. Well, this is how it helps us. This is unique to Christianity. Hear me. Jesus gives his greater perfect righteousness as a gift through faith in him and his work. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, point to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? How, why does this guy's perfect righteousness why does that, how does that help, help me? It helps us in this way, that when I put my faith, when I trust him and believe in him, he gives me as a gift of grace, he gives me his righteousness. He gives me his standard. He gives me the way, the, the way that he obeyed the father gets credited to me. I get his report card before God. Now, this should blow you away because there is only there are only two, ultimately, there are only two religions in all the world. One, you obey some rules in order to be saved. This is every man-made religion in the world. From Islam to Buddhism to Hinduism to moralism, moralism, be good. If you're a good boy or a good girl, God will see you on the, on the last day and he'll, he'll, give, he'll get you into heaven. This is even true of things like secularism. This is, don't you feel this pressure on you even from our culture to be better and to be more, right? This is man's attempt to save themselves. This is a ladder to the heavens and if you're good enough and you try hard enough, you can earn your way to God. Every religion in the world, that's how, that's how mankind is saved. They're saved by obeying some set of standards, except for Christianity. Christianity is the only religion in the world that Jesus saves you all by himself. That's it. 
The only religion in the world that has this thing called grace. Somebody behaved, uh, obeyed God for you. Somebody behaved in your place. Somebody performed in your place. Where you fail, he succeeded. Every other religion in the world says do, 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 and it's never done. Christianity says done. Jesus fulfilled everything for you, and now you can obey God out of that obedience. When you see this, guys, you'll, you'll be able to see things differently in the world. You're never, this one, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to measure up. You're never going to be woke enough. You got to keep earning that. You got to keep earning your woke points every single day. Right? Am I woke enough? Did I, did I do, am I measuring up? Right? And this one, you receive something from God that makes you righteous. Now, Okay, that's kind of confusing, I guess. But when Jesus says, you will not enter into his kingdom, you'll not walk with him, you'll not be a part of his kingdom, you won't be inside his kingdom unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. How do I get righteous in a way that exceeds the Pharisees, those they're spectacular obeyers of the outward performance of the law. How do I get a righteousness? Well, one, two ways. One, it is a received, perfect, Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness. A righteousness that, that you didn't earn, you didn't make up. You receive it from outside of yourself. It comes from Jesus by grace through faith and you receive it. His record becomes ours. Okay, listen, but don't stop there. Too many Christians think becoming a Christian is about receiving an alien righteousness and now we just get to live however we want to live. No, 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 no. You receive a righteousness, but you have not received a righteousness unless that righteousness produces a new righteousness of behavior in your life. You haven't received the seed unless you see the fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is... Christianity is not about getting your sins forgiven and then going on and living however you want to live. No. It's about being changed by God, getting an alien righteousness, and now going out and doing good deeds, being different, being changed by God. Well, how do we do that? Listen, this is interesting. Once we receive a righteousness that's not ours, we now obey God, listen, from the heart. Out of love and worship of Jesus, rather than a fear of being punished or in order to gain something from God, that we aren't obeying God to get salvation or an effort to look good or earn his favor. We are now obeying from an inward change of heart. And guess what? This is what, when you get this, this is the stuff Jesus said. Jesus said this, one cup of cold water given to someone out of a heart that has been changed by Jesus is a greater righteousness than all the righteousness of the Pharisees. Do you hear that? When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not saying obeying the law is somehow easy now. No, he's saying I've 
changed the heart of the Christian in such a way, and I've put my righteousness on the Christian in such a way that they're no longer performing for God. They are loved by God, accepted by God, brought into the family of God, and now they have this inward engine that wants to do good things just for the sake of doing good. And parents, you know when your kid kicks and screams and, and bucks and cleans his room, that is not pleasurable experience for you. You don't, hey, thank you for being such a brat, right? You, but if a, if a child, out of a good heart, just, this very rarely happens, just you, you come downstairs and like, hey, mama, I made coffee for you. Immediately you're like, you ain't going to wherever you think you're going, right? Like, but we know something done out of the heart is worth 10 times as much as something done on a, some kind of legalistic pressure to conform to the rules. The same is true in Christianity. God gives us what he demands. He gives us a new heart. And now we want to love him. We want to worship him. And one cup of cold water, our righteousness exceeds the Pharisees who were crushing 600 laws. Spectacular. This is how we change, Christian. This is how we get better. This is how we grow more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is how we get saltier and brighter. This is how our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Let me call it like this. Let me call it the gospel process. The gospel process. And, and too many Christians short-circuit this process. They try to get out of this process because this process doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't affirm us in our own sin. All right? Now the new thing is, well, it can't be sin because I was born this way. Wait, wait, wait. That's what the Bible always says. You're born in sin. So our sin makes us go haywire in a million different directions. Let me show you what it means. Here's the, here's the, the gospel process. God gives the law, or we could call it the standard. This is how you should behave. This is who you should be, okay? We look at that, and we go, here's one, just a simple one. Be angry and do not sin. You read the New Testament, you read that? Be angry and do not sin. First off, you should see that standard is very high. Okay, first off, he's commanding me to be angry. So that means if I'm just sitting at home and I don't really care about things and I never get angry, I'm actually guilty of committing a sin against God. I should get angry at the things God get angry about. Okay, well, shoot. I need to get angry. But on the other side of that, and then do not sin. Most of the time when I get angry, I sin, right? I raise my voice. I hurt somebody. I go too far. I do dumb stuff. The, that standard is very high. Be angry and do not sin. So when I look at that one verse, what do I do? Here's what many people, here's what many people do. They either lower that standard or they run from it. They just blow past it. <laughs> they lower that. Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I mean, I don't really get angry that often, and you know, it's just in my heart. Oh, what'd you, what'd you just do there? Because if you're angry at your brother in your heart, you're still guilty of doing it. So don't lower the standard. Jesus never lowers the standard. Accept the standard as it is and let it lay you out. That's what the law is supposed to do. Lay you out. Give you no hope. I can never save myself through my own obedience. I can never be good enough. I'm always either not angry enough or too angry. Or we run from it. Just 
go past that verse. I don't want to see that verse. Oh, get, get me to something that sounds good. Get me to something that I can draw a flower on in my Bible. Right? Just hard stuff. Don't want to see hard stuff. Don't do it. Let the law do. Let the standard do what it's supposed to do. Lay you out. And what does it do when you're laid out? You look to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. Jesus was the one who always got perfectly angry, righteously angry, and never sinned. Jesus did that in my place. Jesus, thank you for obeying where I fail to obey. See, and as you do that and you rely and you rest on his righteousness, his performance for you in your place, you will be changed into a person who wants to obey God from the heart. And you'll actually have the ability to obey God in greater and greater ways. This is how, Christian, we read our Bible. This is how we relate to standards in society and standards in life. Now, I get it. People talk to me about, oh, I don't like rules and I don't like standards. Okay, here's the problem with that. You can't live without them. What if you you say, I don't believe there's a God who, this is his book and he's got all these rules and he's going to judge me by this book. Okay, well, let's just do a thought experiment. Let's just say you have a cell phone in your pocket and that cell phone is recording, this is hypothetical, everything you say, right? Every time you go, that person should have never, you should never, Every time you set a standard in life or you judge somebody else, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they wore that. And then, hypothetically, you die and you stand before God and all God does is replay your law, replay the things that you said nobody should ever do, nobody should ever say, and then show you in real time, 3D, when you broke every one of your own rules. What if that's the only standard God gives is the standard you've set for yourself and others? Here's the problem. You'll fail and be worthy of condemnation. But, or you have the gospel, or you have Jesus who's obeyed God perfectly in your place. There's only two religions in all the world. Either you earn your way to God and it's, it's, a, it's a ladder to, that you climb to get to God or it's a ladder that God climbs down to get to you. And that's Jesus Christ. Every other world worldview, every other religion says do and it's never done. Only Christianity says done. It is finished is what Jesus said on the cross. And we receive it and now live out of this new identity. Hmm. Let me pray for us. Father, there's never been another story like this. There's never been another religion on this earth. Every other religion is about mankind earning, obeying their way in. And only in Christianity does Jesus come and get us and obey God for us and invite us in through nothing but faith and trust in his own work. Would you help us do that even right now? Would you be giving people faith to believe that even right now? Would you be taking people and making them spiritually alive right now? And Father, for those of us who've heard that message a hundred, a thousand times, would you help us return to it and be reminded because our heart so quickly wants to get out of this system, wants to do something other than let the law of God lay us out where we have no hope but Jesus. We want to dumb it down. We want to run from it. We want to ignore it. 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't do that. We would listen to Jesus. And we'd let the law lay us out and look to Jesus who fulfilled it for us in our place. And then you would empower us to obey it in greater and greater ways so that our world would be a better place and look more like the kingdom of heaven. Father, as I close this morning, I thank you, Jesus, for giving us a sacrament on the night before you were going to be crucified and killed in our place. You took a simple meal. You, You took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood. You took the cup of wine and you said, this is my blood that's been shed to cover your sins. But you gave us a meal to remind us that nothing but the body and the blood of the Son of God can save us from our sins. And so this morning, repentant Christians come to the table and we receive that reminder. We receive the sacrament of bread and wine to remember the work that Jesus did in our place. So Father, we thank you for it. We honor you now. We glorify you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.